The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. My name is Gary Harding, and I'll be your host along with my co-host, John Panarese, for the next two hours here in the studio with me on this Sunday evening, January the 10th, 2021. On the show tonight, in our first hour, we're going to have Andrew Gross from Newsday, the Islanders beat reporter, giving us a little preview of the upcoming season, which starts on Thursday night for the NHL. And uh, our second guest will be Hall of Fame uh, announcer Jiggs McDonald, who will be uh, starting a new spotlight show that we're going to do, John and I. Um, it's basically an Islander alumni corner, and we're going to focus tonight with Jiggs on the 92-93 Islander season. Uh, before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com, where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. Lastly, if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast, WGBB Sports Talk New York, on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to broadcasts. John, Happy New Year, my friend. Yeah, happy New Year. Here we are again. It's Here already we... the 10th of January. <laughs> I know. Ten days have gone by. It was, again, an interesting first ten weeks, ten days of this year. We won't get into anything about that. But, uh, you know, the one thing that we love so much uh, starts in about... In about a set, well, the season starts in about 72 hours from now. Yes. For the locals, we start in 96 hours. The Islanders and Rangers play uh, the first two games of the season at Madison Square Garden on Thursday night and on Saturday night. Um, it's going to be an interesting schedule because you play teams back to back, and you know, um, you know, eight, it's eight times or something. Eight, to, yeah. Each team is going to play each other eight times in the division, which will be quite an interesting. Uh, way for things to start and uh we do have our guest on the line again uh for those of you who subscribe to newsday and who uh check the islanders out he is the islander beat reporter for the last few years his name is andrew gross he's been a frequent contributor to our show and andrew it's gary and john happy new year and welcome to sports talk new york happy new year thank you so much for uh having me hope everyone's healthy and uh safe and uh uh, yeah, no, it's great to talk to you guys again. Yeah, a little yeah. cold, but you know, for it's January, it's hockey. Hey, it's, it's hockey be. season. You know, we're we're three days away. Um, I'm sure as I'm sure as a reporter and the way things are going to go for you, um, it's going to be different than I'm sure any other any other sport or any other season you've ever covered. Yeah, no, this is uh, for sure. I mean, everything's going to be an adjustment. You know, obviously. When they went into the bubble, uh, you know, for the postseason in August and September, that was different because I was, I was not in the bubble. I was, you know, sitting at home watching on TV with everyone else. Although, you know, I had access to the Zoom, the Zoom interviews and everything. But right. other than that, you know, I was just sitting at home watching on TV. At least here, you know, not in the bubbles. I'll be able to get into some of the arenas. I just found out today I will be able to get into Madison Square Garden on Thursday night for the uh, for the season opener, and I, I suspect I'll be you know at the Coliseum as well. We'll see whether I'm going to any of the other buildings. But you know, access is still 
only via Zoom as as the health and safety protocols are put into place. And right. you know, beyond you know, beyond my life, it's this is going to be different. You know, we we've seen shortened seasons before. You know, but but they've all been you know owners lockout related, right? Right? You know, forty eight games and. You know, last season the pandemic held the season to 68 games, but we didn't know that going in. Right. This right. time we know it going in. It's going to be a 56-game sprint and everything within the division. So as Lou Lamarillo says, everything's a four-point playoff game, really, mm-hmm. because only four of these eight teams in the division are going to advance to the postseason. I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm happy about the pandemic or anything like that, but I, I think the format they've come up with it uh, is very exciting, and I'm hoping they're able to navigate through the COVID and, and see it to its conclusion. That's that's definitely true. I mean, it's, I've had a couple of discussions with people, and it, it's interesting that the the spectrum of people who say, "Ah, oh, this is stupid; they shouldn't even play," you know. But I'm like, you know what? This is this is really cool. I agree with you. I I think it really is going to make for playoff hockey. You know, virtually every night that the teams take the ice, and it's going to be a war of attrition. And and you know, one of the things younger, do you? Th- I mean, I I was reading something earlier today, and and people were talking about how teams like uh, Washington and Pittsburgh and Boston, who have older players, it's going to be much more of a challenge than for teams like, let's say, the Rangers or the Islanders and such, who have younger players. Do you think, I mean, do you, how much do you think that the compressed schedule is going to play a role and what we see, who actually makes the playoffs by May? Yeah, I mean, I think you could look at it two ways. I mean, just physically, I, I, yeah, if I was a player, I'd rather have younger, fresher legs for mm-hmm. sure. You know, there are a lot of back-to-backs. There are a lot of three and fours. Um, obviously, I mean, especially, especially in this East division, there's, almost no travel, really. I mean, the, the furthest the Islanders go are uh, up to Buffalo. I think that might be the, you know, because from Long Island, you know, if they fly, that's, you know, that's maybe an hour flight. Right. Yeah. Um, that, you know, Washington might be the same hour flight from, uh, you know, from where the Islanders' plane is taking off. But really, that's, you know, that's nothing. They're not leaving the Eastern time zone. So, uh you know, I, I think if there's any division where the older players are going to navigate it better, it would be in the East Division. On, on the other hand, you know, I, I think the older players do know how to pace themselves better just through experience. So, you know, maybe the, maybe the younger players might have a tendency to burn themselves out too quickly here. That's a good You know, point. I, I don't know. It's going to be something very interesting to watch. I, I think... I think the good thing for the Islanders is they're not a young team and they're not an old team. They they have a mixture, a, a pretty solid mixture of both. You know, they have some 30-year-olds on the team. Um, they have some guys who have been with them, you know, uh, for for a long time. That Corey Anders Lee, Josh Bailey, you know, um, you know, Nick Letty's certainly been here for a while. So they do have that experience in some of the older guys, but... You know, you got Barzell and Beauvillier, and you know you're hoping to have a Wallstrom or a Bellows possibly in the lineup. Um, you know, and Noah Dobson this season. I, I, I think it's a good mixture to attack this. Well, speaking of um, 
you know, new or re-signed acquisitions, I'm sure, and you've been attending the the, uh, the scrimmages and, and the workouts over at Northwell. I'm sure the uh, the atmosphere uh, with the guys uh, on the benches was a lot more uh, happier, I guess you could say, with um, the uh, reinsertion of number 13 back into the fold. Well, well Barzy was certainly happy. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I used the word someplace I forget where I wrote it, but exuberance. And you know, he scores in the scrimmage, you know, goals Twice, on right? each of his uh, first two shifts, <laughs> and you could just hear him whooping it up. You know, I mean, obviously there are no fans in the stands, so it's a lot easier to hear the chirping and what's going on on the bench and and on the ice. And uh, yeah, no, I think it was fair to say that Barzy was thrilled to be back. Um, you know, he, he talked about it afterwards that, you know, he was not getting frustrated through the negotiations. He was just anxious because he was watching his teammates practice and he wasn't a part of that. And he, he was really itching to get back out there. So yeah, no, it, it, you know, the team is whole again. The team, and I think I've said this to you and I've said it other places, you know, I've covered a lot of, a lot of dressing rooms and you can really tell when guys really do like each other and really do consider themselves brothers. And that's certainly mm-hmm. how this Islander team feels about itself. And Barzi is, you know, right in the middle of that. And that's that's a good thing, especially to have him back on the ice at least to get some camp time in before the season starts and immediately gets rolling. Um how do you what what do you from your what you've seen so far? What do you think could be the final look of the third line? Obviously, the first two lines is pretty well set, and you know we have the fourth line, but the third line it seems to be still you know other than the center. Who do you think is going to end up on that line? Yeah, and I, I just posted a story on that on Newsday.com backslash sports about you know who is Jean Gabriel Joe going to wind up with it? It seems like. Since Lou uh, acquired him from the Senators, he's got a different winger every time he mm-hmm. takes the ice. And today in the scrimmage, it was very interesting. He skated with Oliver Wallstrom and Kiefer Bellows, and each one of those, they, each one of the trio had a goal. Uh, oh, very you know, nice. uh, JG had a goal in the second period, and uh, Bellows and Wallstrom both had goals in the third period. Um, but who it winds up with, you know. Barry is playing that very close to the uh, to, to the vest there. I mean, you know, I, you think about who you would want to play with J.G. Pajot, and, and, and he's interesting because he's such a good two-way player that, you know, he could be, you know, a, a top-two center and play on the scoring line, and he's also very comfortable in this third-line role as a, as a you know, uh, maybe more of a checking line, although I, I do think the Islanders need more scoring on the wing, and, you know, certainly Wallstrom and or Bellows uh, would hopefully provide that. But, you know, I, I, I really get the feeling if, if they cannot move Leo Komarov's contract, and it really seems like Lou is not going to be able to move either Leo or Tomaseki before uh, the rosters have to be submitted. I think it's Tuesday at 5 p.m. I know it's Tuesday. I think 5 p.m. is the deadline. Um, you know, Leo Komarov fits in just because of his penalty killing. Right, and, right. you know, I, I know Barry certainly, you know, values that. So 
I, I'm not, you know, throwing out Leo Komarov with the dishwasher, uh, dishwater here. I, I certainly think he could be a strong part of the mix. Um, Andrew Ladd has gotten a long look uh, through training camp as well. And, in fact, before uh, Barzi uh, got back into camp, uh, Barry had Ladd, you know, kind of substituting on that second power play unit. Um, Ross Johnson, you know, is, is still around. And uh, I could certainly see him him being a part of this. And I'll tell you what, Michael Dalcall is having a very strong training camp as well. Um, you know, and I think that's the story is is that a lot of guys are, are you know, hit the ice running or skating hard. Um, you know, the, the, the two guys acquired in the offseason, A.J. Greer and Austin Zarnick, they're noticeable every time they're on the ice. So, you know, it's a it's a tough decision for Barry, but I certainly think, you know, he's got a, a wealth of candidates to choose from. I, I just think for the for the health of the team going forward, you know, cap and and otherwise, um, you know, I really hope one of the two young prospects uh, gets you know a, a, some regular ice time there between Wallstrom and Bellows. Now, what's the before we get into another question? Actually, what just just speaking about that, um, are the the roster rules going to be changed a little bit as far as you know who you can keep up? Um, is there going to be like kind of like a a modified black aces situation where they can have more than twenty three people basically up with the big club and you know I guess uh, to protect the health and safety and things. Well, the, the way it's going to work, and you're correct, they're going to need a huge player pool because, you know, I, I, I think every team knows at some point they're going to have COVID absences. I mean, yeah, that you just inevitable. look around at yeah. the other sports. That's the way it's going. We've already seen it in the NHL. Uh, um, what was it? The Canucks, I think, were the latest team to, uh, to not practice uh, mm-hmm. out of a quote-unquote abundance of uh, caution, right? Mm-hmm. Um so the way it works is you still have your 23-man roster, uh, which is the same as, as any other season. But now you have a taxi squad that can be four to six players. And the taxi squad will practice and travel uh, with with the uh, the main group. So, yeah, in effect, you can have, uh, what is it, 23 plus six. You can have up to 29 players, right, okay. uh, around. So that is a big player pool. Um, for cap reasons, some teams may decide to have fewer than 23 on the actual roster. Um, since we know about this uh, flat 81.5 million salary cap, I, I think I think the way the math is working out, the Islanders are going to get to 23, and then they'll probably keep the six around on the taxi squad. Uh, Corey Schneider will be the taxi squad uh, goalie. Um, in case anything happens to Varlamov or, or Sorokin. Um, so, you know, and, and they can go, it, it's not, you, you don't have to go through waivers or anything, you know, to, to get back and forth from the taxi squad. So, in effect, you are dealing with the expanded roster there. I think that's going to be, you know, kind of helpful because, as you said, I I foresee that there's going to be COVID problems with every team yeah. at some point. Yeah. Yeah, it's inevitable, it seems like. Well, you brought up his name because he's definitely somebody I'm interested in hearing about your observations since you've been able to look in on the scrimmages is 
how is Sorokin looking, the, the, the great white whale, as I've heard him called in certain circles? Yeah, well, he's, he's you know, we've all seen the YouTube videos, right? And he's incredibly athletic yeah. and incredibly acrobatic when he needs to get back into position. I, I can attest to the fact that he is fast. He is, he is very fast post to post. But I, I think what they're working on with him, because uh, the, the big trick coming from the KHL to the NHL will be uh, Ilya's ability to see through traffic and to track the puck with big bodies, you know, basically blocking a lot of his view, because that's not something that he deals with to the extent he'll see it in the NHL, in the KHL. Right. The goalies get much better looks at the puck in the KHL, obviously a bigger bigger rink there uh, for, for a lot of the teams, although you know, uh, Ilya is said to be very used to and accustomed to an NHL-sized rink as well. Um, look, he, he's, he looks like he can play in an NHL game. Um, you know, he hasn't really done anything highlight real uh, so far in camp. Um, but he has, you know, he's given up a few goals. I, I, he gave up one today. I uh, forget uh, which one was it. I think it was Grant Hutton uh, came in on net. Um, oh, no, no, it was either. No, no, it was Oliver Wallstrom's goal. Uh, Wally gets out of the penalty box and, and breaks in, and it, it looked to be a, a, a puck that, that – Ilya should have been able to stop or, or handle a little bit better, and it kind of trickled through him. But, you know, uh, he's still learning, you know, obviously coming over to North America. The, uh, director of goaltending Mitch Korn and goalie coach Piero Greco are working on angles with him. Uh, you know, the goalies come out before every practice or scrimmage and work as a group, and, and Ilya is getting plenty of time with that, and don't forget, he was in the bubble for six weeks, too, so there is a foundation there. Um, I got some questions on Twitter, I think, uh, about how he handled the puck. He, he went behind the net fine during scrimmage. He was able to distribute it. He didn't get caught back there. You know, um, so I, I think he's competent at handling the puck, and, and, and I think the big trick is the Islanders and, and, and Korn and uh, – um, and, and Piero Greco are going to make sure that Ilya does not fall back and rely on his athleticism and his ability to make these acrobatic saves uh, to kind of bail himself out. I, I think what they want to do is work on the angles and make sure he's in position to, to be square to, puck, to, to the puck and, and kind of have this economy of motion, which is, you know, if you've watched the Islanders the past two seasons, that's sort of what you, you saw with Robin Leonard and Thomas Grice and Semyon Varlamov. You, you know, they get squared at the puck, they're not flailing about, and, and they're able to smother it when they're on their gates. So, you know, I think that's where they're trying to get Ilya Sorokin. Right. Um, now, obviously last year um... – the team brought Noah Dobson up slowly, and, and especially in the bubble, um, he got to work a lot with Andy Green with uh, with Johnny Boychuk uh, being injured in the first game of the uh, the, of the play. And I would assume that the um, the plan is pretty much the same way to try to have um, Andy Green work with Noah Dobson because they seemed like they had a 
a very very smart chemistry with them. And and Andy, I, I know you covered you covered the Devils for many years. I know you know him very very well. He to me is the the most one of the most consummate professionals I've seen. Yeah, yeah, no, he's and and Barry said the other day, you know, Andy might you know might be the smartest defenseman in the group for sure. Um, yeah, no, the the pairs are. I mean, you know, I don't think it's any surprise, but right. what the pairs are going to wind up as. But you know, you you've got Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak, and they're going to you know stick together. And you've got Andy Green and Noah Dobson, and they're going to stick together. And then you've got Nick Letty and um, Scott Mayfield, and they're going to, you know, they're going to work together to start the season. It was funny. I, I asked Barry the other day. I was like, "Did you put Nick? You know, did you think Nick would work with Scott Mayfield because Scott Mayfield kind of steps into the Johnny Boychuk role uh, uh, in the top six now? You know, he is similar kind of game. You know." More of a stay-at-home defensive guy uses body that that type of thing, and Barry turns it around on me. He goes, "Well, I was actually looking at it that you know I would put Scott Mayfield with a Devontae type and Nick Letty, you know. So either way, that that that's going to be those are the three pairs. And you're right, Green and 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 Dobson sort of developed this instant chemistry when they went together. And a lot of it is Andy Green just being so smart, uh, you know, through his time with the Devils, being a captain over there, uh, and just the experience he has. You know, Noah is going to get up into the play, and Andy Green is reliable enough to, to allow Noah Dobson those, those chances to, to get up in the play and create some offense. And, and what Noah is learning and, and did learn through the way they brought him through last season um, very carefully, the coaching staff did is when when not to go and, and when to make sure that the, the, the defense always is a priority. And, and I, I think Andy Green is helping Noah out uh, tremendously with that. Now, as since obviously without Boychuk and 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 Taves being you know uh, traded. What does the depth chart look like on the defense? Like who who is like I've read that uh, uh, Bodie Wild and and um, oh there was another guy I can't think of who it was. His kind oh, of been young guy Bo- Bulldog or uh, Parker yeah. Weatherspoon. Weatherspoon, um, Weatherspoon, yeah, yeah. That they, they've supposedly been very impressive in in, in things so far. What and yeah, no, I, off today's scrimmage. I mean, I. I, I was I couldn't keep my eyes off of the way Samuel Bulldog was playing, um, and and I thought I mean Bodie Wild is just a heck of a skater, and I, I, he's going to be a very good defenseman. He really is. Um, but I, as far as where they are in the depth chart right now, I, I you know Bulldog is only twenty, mm-hmm. um, and, and Bodie Wild, you know, he didn't get to play too much last season uh, through injuries and yeah. everything. Um, so I, I sort of feel like, you know, they may, their development may be best suited, uh, with Bridgeport and the AHL. And again, and this is the same thing I said about Leo Komarov. If the Islanders cannot move Thomas Hickey's contract and, and I, it doesn't look like they will be able to, at least to start, I, I would expect Thomas Hickey to be a seventh defenseman, uh, based on his experience. 
and sense. you're really going to need your seventh defenseman because these games are too compacted. You're going to, you know, you, you know, you're going to have bang, you know, bumps and bruises and injuries here and there to the defenseman. So you're going to ha- really have to have a seventh defenseman you can really mm-hmm. count on. But also, there the, the games come, you know, so close together at times that you you might want to spell. You know, one of the defensemen, you know, give him a breather, you know, say rest Andy Green for a game or so to give his legs a break. Um, So I really think Thomas Hickey will slot in kind of as as that seventh defenseman, seventh, eighth defenseman. And I I really think uh, Sebastian Ajo is is NHL ready at this point. And I, I kind of feel like he doesn't gain that much by going back to the AHL. So I sort of feel like Hickey and Aho are the next two options beyond the, uh, the 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 three pairs I mentioned. Well, you you mentioned also, um, you know, with this different with this new schedule that, you know, each team is going to play eight games, you know, against uh, you know eight games against the Rangers, eight games against the Devils, eight games against the Capitals, all the way through. Um, what's been you know when, when you're talking with the players and talking about this. Uh, What's the excitement level about the fact that, you know, you know, an Islander Ranger rivalry, you know, has always been, you know, top notch over the years, but we haven't seen, you know, the teams play each other eight games since like the early eighties. So, you know, they're, and, and they're going to, you know, they're going to play each other one night and then 48 hours later, they're going to be playing, you know, again in the same building at the same time. Yeah. The fans are not there, but I'm sure these guys are going to be really pumped up for these rivalry games. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, I didn't disagree with Lou Lamarillo when he said it's basically 56 playoff games yep. because yep. you're only playing within your division. And yeah, you know, there's going to be some, some hatred built up, built up because <laughs> like you said, you're, you're facing these times, uh, these games over and over and over again. And, and a lot of times in back to back or, you know, uh, two games in three days type situation. Like for instance, in January, uh, you know, the Islanders opened the season at the Garden uh, on Thursday and Saturday, right? So that's two games at the Rangers. Also, this month they play two games and three nights down in Washington, and they play twice and two nights in Philadelphia. Yeah. So it, it really is It's going to be such a different type of season. And, you know, I, I know this is not what the NHL wants to do moving ahead, but Maybe you can, you know, I, I've always been a proponent of the more division games you can play, the better. Um, I, I don't like the way it's set up right now. I, I hate the NHL alignment, it, it, you know, uh, the way it is, you know, non-pandemic, where you're, you're only playing within this bloated division four times, you know, mm-hmm. each team four times. I would love it if they went back. You know, when I first started covering the NHL in 2003, this is how it was. The Islanders and Rangers played eight times a season. Mm-hmm. You know, the Islanders and Devils are playing eight times. Islanders and Flyers are playing eight times. And it, it just, it's so good for the fans. You know, I, I, I got to be honest. Now, I know what Gary Bettman's thinking is, is, you know, you know, the teams out west want to see, you know, you don't want to deny the fans in Arizona the chance to see Sidney Crosby, or at least that's the thinking, you know, yeah. or, or a player like that. But I got to be honest, you know, like 
if the Islanders didn't play the Coyotes in the regular season, I might not even notice. You know, and that's <laughs> nothing against the Coyotes, you know, or a team like that. It's just I, I want to see the teams that you know you know these teams have a rival a rivalry with. Right. I I totally agree. Well, listen, Andrew, Andrew we really appreciate you uh, coming on with us tonight. Um, have a lot of fun. I know. I know. We talked, um, you know, the other day, and you said you're going to be probably, hopefully, get to do a lot of driving back and forth the game. So it should be uh, quite an interesting four months for you covering uh, covering the boys as well. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, and always great talking to you guys. Well, thanks. And, uh, Thank thanks you. so much for having me on. You bet. Well, again, happy New Year, and we'll uh, we'll speak to you on the road, Andrew. Thanks again. All right, be safe and your families too. Thank, Thank you. you. Again, that's Andrew Gross from Newsday. At A Gross Newsday is his Twitter handle. Again, um, a, a plethora of information about the team. He's a great, uh, great writer, and um, we definitely, you know, make sure you uh, keep him among your list of uh, readers to uh, to check out during the season. Uh, when we come back on Sports Talk 1240, we will have Hall of Fame announcer Jiggs McDonald taking a trip back on memory lane 28 years ago to the Islanders' playoff run of 1993. Gary and John on WGBB Sports Talk New York, back in a few minutes. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. And we're back on Sports Talk New York. Gary Harding, John Panarese with you. Uh, from Live from the studios in beautiful downtown Merrick. I forgot to say that before, beautiful downtown Merrick. Um, so, interesting. Um, five minutes into the uh, Pittsburgh-Cleveland game, and the Browns got two touchdowns already on the Steelers. Yeesh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, interest, interesting football implications. I mean, this was, this has been an awesome weekend to have six – Six football games uh, in two days, and we'll we'll talk about uh, the other part later because we have our uh, our guest on the air um, again. For those of you who've been listening to John and I for the past seven years, uh, this gentleman has been a frequent contributor to the show. As a matter of fact, he was the first guest That's right. of That's right. John and I on 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 then Sports Talk twelve forty and now Sports Talk New York. He is the legendary Hall of Fame voice of the New York Islanders, Jigs McDonald. Jigs. Happy New Year to you from from me and John. Hope you're doing well down in Florida. Oops. Uh, are you there, Jigs? Oops. I think we lost we lost Mr. McDonald. We'll get him. We'll get him back. We'll get him back on the line. No problem. Yes. Yeah, so um, again, the game between the uh, the New Orleans Saints and the Chicago Bears today was broadcast on Nickelodeon. Yeah, which was cool because every time somebody scored a touchdown, they got slimed. Well, not literally, of course, but uh, I think it was a great, great thing they did. Um, you know, to try to get kids involved uh, in the game, and and they gave it from a different perspective. Uh, SpongeBob did the pregame show, of course. Well, well, who else would do the pregame show That's with SpongeBob? Right. But uh, yeah, quite an interesting um, way of doing it, and um, you know, 
kudos to the NFL to try something different. Obviously, the game was also on CBS, so it was reg- broadcast regularly. You know, with Jim Nance and Tony Romo. I think actually Romo was broadcasting from his home in Dallas because I think he's had some contract tracing situations or something like that. So, uh, so yeah. So this will be interesting if Cleveland can pull the upset. Um, you know, us following Buffalo as much as we have, yeah. that means. Um, you know the the Bills will not have to play the Steelers in, in the second round that they would play uh, the Baltimore Ravens, who did an interesting little uh, deal to the Tennessee Titans yeah, this afternoon. Um, I think we're I think we're getting our guest back on the line. He is on the line again. Hall of Fame announcer Jigs McDonald, Gary, and John here in freezing Long Island. Yes. Happy New Year to you. I hope you're staying nice and warm. Well, not the warmest day today, uh, guys, but. Uh... Hey, nothing to shovel. Well, what, what's your definition of not the warmest day? I don't think we broke 60 degrees. Oh, you poor thing. Night. Well, actually, yeah. we also heard today in Dallas they actually had snow. So, you know, they, at least they had it worse than we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, they did. But Happy New Year to you, my friend. As we said, you know, you've always been supportive of, of John and I over the years, and we really, really appreciate it. Um, as I talked with you on the phone the other day, my goal um, with the rebranding of Sports Talk New York and everything else that we're doing is I want to do an Islanders kind of alumni corner. And, and of course, who better to start with uh, right. <laughs> with you, uh, our friend. And uh, the, what I want to talk about tonight, and again, a lot of our younger listeners really know, you know, they hear the stories of the Stanley Cup. You know, it's always broadcast on the NHL Network and, and MSG you know, Plus and everything else. But a lot of talk isn't about a special team that holds near and dear to my heart as well as John's, and I'm sure yours for covering it, but the 92-93 Islander team that uh, that basically shocked everybody and, and made their way to the Stanley Cup semifinals. I, mean, I know you got to cover the team, and it was a great, it was a you know obviously a great story, but where would you rank initially? Where would you rank that team among the uh, the teams that you covered for all those years? It's got to be right there with the Stanley Cup champions. I think uh, the comeback victory in Pittsburgh speaks for itself, obviously, and the guy that scored the the overtime game winner in Pittsburgh, who we've talked about in the past, Ben and Al's doghouse, uh, mm-hmm. he, he just he didn't, didn't play the game the way Al wanted him to play the game. He sat out a lot that year. Um, I, and, of course, the, the loss of Pierre, not, uh, not having him available, a quick turnaround going to Montreal for uh, for the conference final, but that was a special group of guys. That, that was a, uh, of course, when I got there in, in '80, that that team had gelled. That team had had suffered the setback against Toronto, had uh, had built itself up to become a, a championship team. They uh, the '92-'93 team was just on the cusp of that. They, the players had uh, had really started to, uh, to become family, much like uh, today's edition of the Islanders, but they had started to buy in, to believe in one another, and uh, and Al's coaching direction, the, the whole thing was, was just really beginning to manifest, Gary. Well, this is, um, you know, 28 years ago, and as Gary said, there, there are, you know, a lot of youngsters who have just heard the stories, and, you know, it's like... You know, to to them, they have no clue. So give give us like kind of a sort of a summary of what this team a- accomplished. 
and you know who, who you know kind of the highlights of that of that playoff. The the ninety two ninety three team. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think it starts with Glenn Healy. It, it, you know, in the uh, in the eighties run right, with so. Spitty, uh, you knew what you were getting. He was going to be mean and miserable. Uh, <laughs> Glenn Healy was going to yap at the other team. He was going to yap <laughs> at his teammates. He was he was going to be on their backs. Uh, everybody could play better, in his opinion, including himself. He he was the the glue. Uh, I look at a guy like like a Stevie Thomas. I mean, yeah, there uh, there, there was some excellent talent in Pierre Turgeon. Uh, Big Huey Croup added a lot to the to that hockey team. There, you go up and down the lineup, but um, between Healy in goal and Ray Ferraro, yeah, you know, we right. always called Ray uh, the Seagull because mm-hmm. he was always squawking at the referees <laughs> and the other team and teammates as well. And I think uh, I think those guys probably would would be the the glue, the uh, uh, you know just just gave you that um, that that little extra shot. Benny Benny Hogue comes to mind too. Uh, there's a great story when Benoit arrived with the team and after the trade that sent LaFontaine to Buffalo, of course, that Patty uh, was was one excellent talent, and you got a, I, I would say, probably full value, if not more, uh, back in that deal. But Al said to Benny, I want you to be my son, so like a, a checking forward. And Benny looked at Al and said, no, I can do more than that. And he could, and he did, and he proved it. And again, that I guess maybe that's Al's way of getting everything out of uh, a player, but uh, Benoit, uh, Pierre, certainly uh, Stevie, uh, Molly, mm-hmm. up and down that lineup, there, there was some, some really good guys, some great talent. And it just, uh, like I said, it was just starting to really come together at playoff time. And, and, and going on that, that situation, again, I know uh, looking, and I had to go back this morning, and I was going through all the uh, the stats and everything else that, you know, they had a lot of injuries on that team. Obviously, Ferraro took a hit early in the season. Curvers was out for, for 30-something games. Rich Pilon was out um, 30 or 40 games. So I, I guess one of the, the, the surprising parts was, is, is, again, how the depth on this team where the younger kids stood up. I mean, you got the emergence of the kid line and uh, – and Travis Green and, and and Marty McGinnis and Dennis Vasky filling in on defense, yeah, but that's right. but the thing that I wanted to bring up is it, it, with all of this, you had two new kids, two new Russians come along board. Oh, you yeah. know, Darius was drafted in the previous year, uh, Malakoff was drafted in the year before, and then came in. I know it had to be yeah. hard for those two kids to come in. You know, coming from Russia. You know, in dealing with the North American climate, but it seems like those two made an instant impact to this team, not only on the ice but in the locker room as well. Yeah, they they really did. Uh, Darius, we'll talk about Darius. He could write a whole book about Darius. <laughs> he brought. Um, Vladdy, I don't know that there was a better skater in the league at that time than Vladimir uh, Malikov when he when he arrived with the team. I had the, the good fortune of having done the Olympics that year, and I don't. I, I know Al hadn't seen them, and I don't think Bill had been uh, to Russia. I don't think uh, Bill Torrey, I'm, I'm saying, uh, and I'm not exactly sure who had scouted them or who had determined that they should be out under draft picks. 
But I came back from the from the Olympic Games in France just raving about Darius. I said, Al, you're going to love this guy. You're going to love him. I had tried to talk to, to both of them and wasn't allowed. Um, team personnel uh, stepped in. I, I caught the eye of uh, Vladimir when, after a game as the team was leaving the building and uh, tried to speak to him, and I was ushered off to the side. Um <laughs> And I tried to go through uh, Victor Tikhanov, and I didn't have the proper uh, translator, I guess, or the right person. He did acknowledge me. Um, I had first met him in, in Calgary in 88. So here we are with two Islander draft picks, and uh, I don't know if he knew that I was the, the Islander broadcaster or not. But, yeah, those, those two guys just uh, provided something. Um, Darius, obviously run, hit, uh, I don't think he knew just exactly how good he could be or the, what he brought to the team, but he just, he he delivered a bill of goods every night, didn't he? No. It, it just, there's nobody, and I, I can't think of anybody that, that played the game quite like him and was just both hated and respected so much. Yep. You know, and, and I, he, I just love that guy to death. I mean, he was definitely one of my favorites back then. But um, Vladimir was so quiet. I mean, yeah, just compared over, to Darius. Opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, the, obviously the incident that sticks out in my mind and probably a lot of other Islander fans' minds is what happened to Pierre Turgeon in the, in the playoffs. And how, exactly. you, you know, take us back to that and, and the impact and, and, and like your observations and what you thought and what was going to happen. Uh, I just couldn't believe what I had witnessed the night that it happened down in the corner to the left of where we were, that the broadcast booth mm-hmm. when when uh, Dale came across, Dale Hunter came across, and just, I mean, I don't think I'd ever seen anything as vicious in all the years that I'd been broadcasting games. And you knew that, uh, that Pierre was injured badly. Uh, okay, win, win the game, win the series, now you're going up against Pittsburgh. I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, with John or Gary, but the following day we're flying to, to Pittsburgh and we're in the, the terminal at LaGuardia and I went over and sat beside Al for a bit and I said, Al, hypothetically, if the commissioner said to you, you can replace Pierre Turgeon with a player from the Washington Capitals, what player would you want? And without hesitation, without a moment, of hesitation. Al Arbor turned to me and he said, Dale Hunter. Wow. And I almost fell on the floor. I know my chin hit my, my mm-hmm. knees. I said, Dale Hunter, he just, look what he did to Pierre. He said, yeah, Jakes, he'd do anything in the world to win. That's the kind of guy mm-hmm. I would add. But we can't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carried on to something else. But, yeah, um, that, that it was just, it was one of the worst incidents I'd saw during my entire career. Um, I got to know Dale a little after the fact and grew to respect his hockey knowledge, his his ability to relate and look at the number of players he's put into the league from his coaching days in uh, in London, Ontario with the London Knights. Uh, he, he's a far, far better individual than what he displayed on the ice that night at the Coliseum. You know, going back to that in that series as well, there were so many great stories that came out. Um, 
you know, the triple overtime, you know, winner from Ray Ferraro. You know, he somehow in that series just was like he was like another man. And and I know you know I I, I think you may know Jigs, but uh, that was you know that series and and right when the playoffs started was the time was basically when Claire and I first started dating. So it was it was a special like I said, it always holds a special place in my heart because I was starting a relationship with a woman who has been now my wife for almost fifteen years, but. It was such a great, you know, I was sitting in one side of the Coliseum. She was sitting in the other side. And, you know, every game we, we, we see ourselves, at, you know, it was like, I think it was like 20 after 12 when he got that triple overtime goal and everybody like yeah. ran on top of him. I mean, they, they were, like you said, this team just had such a love for each other and, and just the stories that, that, that come out. Obviously, we talked about the Volat goal, but you know all the all the great things that happened, all the the, the heroics by Ferraro, um, the double um, the double shorthanded uh, goals by Tom Fitzgerald in the Pittsburgh series. You talk about the the when you talk about Casparitis when he punched Lemieux, you know, in the corner. Uh, I think it was game five or game six. You know, there was it was just such. I remember Terry. Terry is. Who's he? No different than anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I loved about uh, there. There he is. He just it was, oh, didn't God, matter who it was. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And then of course he he ends up in that uniform for a while too. It, it just oh yeah. It, going back, the special group of guys. You know, uh, Joey McMahon, who was uh, the equipment guy with mm-hmm. the Islanders at that time, and has the, the wonderful McMahon family golf tournament. Uh, so many of the of the '93 team, the '92, '93 squad, come back for his golf tournament every year. Of course, couldn't have it this past summer, but there there is just and it was it was that group of guys. I think uh, again, led probably not only by Joey but uh, Benny Hogue, and I believe I kind of think Ray was involved going to CL. When Al was mm-hmm. uh, struggling health-wise, didn't Glenn uh, too? Yeah, yes, that's right. They uh, they, they just thought the world of, of him, mm-hmm. and everybody, of course, in, in turn, um, just, well, like I said, became a, a true Islander family. If you talk about the family of the uh, Stanley Cup winning teams in the, in the '80s, this team was every bit as tight, every bit as close. And if it would have been kept together, I mean, what do you? I mean, it, it, the sky was the was the limit, in my humble yes. opinion. Thinking back to that point, I mean, you know, I, was it Mont? You know, I'm telling Montreal. you, Montreal was the next round that they got uh, eliminated. And and how? What do you remember from that series? I just uh, well, again, Montreal was uh, was a team of destiny that year. They're number of overtime victories that that team mm-hmm. had uh, the fact that the Islanders uh, finished up in Pittsburgh I, I think it, was it a Friday night yes yeah, it was, yes, Friday, it was a Friday night, night. yeah um, left the next morning for Montreal played Sunday afternoon so really there, there was no no turnaround no time to, to really prepare uh, for a series, and the Canadians, if I recall correctly, had been been waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I believe they won. In, I believe they won in five games, 
in that second yeah. series, and they waited about four or five days. That's that's right. But I don't know if you remember this, Jigs, but I remember it very well. I rem- I'm going back to game three. Uh, that game was in overtime. The Islanders lost in overtime to Montreal, and I, I sat in the first row in Section 331 at the time, and I remember physically counting nine Canadians on the ice when they scored that overtime goal. I remember really? that too. Yes, I remember. I remember too. nine guys on the ice, being, yeah. and the two line and the linesmen were just right in front of the one was right in front of the uh, the Islander bench, and the other was on the side, and they did not even did not even blink. And I still say, you know, like you said, Montreal was a destined destiny team, and I, 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 I mean, I don't know about you. You again, you you saw the guys, but to me, I like you said, you know, they had to go play that next day or or thirty six hours later. And to me, I just unfortunately, I just think the gas just ran out of the tank. Yeah, it did. There, there's no question. They uh, they they had nothing left in the tank. It, it was similar in some respects to the Lafontaine goal at ten minutes to two in the morning, and uh, <laughs> come home and um, go to Philadelphia the next day. Uh, at, at least it was a night game on the on the Monday, not an afternoon game, and. Um, had a little more time, but it was a quick turnaround, a real quick turnaround for a team that had been waiting for them. It, uh, yeah, Montreal, Montreal just uh, had so much firepower, great goaltending, and they had that that magic going in overtime, whether it took six, eight, or ten players on the ice. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have recall, and I'm sorry about that. No. I don't have recall of the number of players on the ice with that uh, overtime goal in Game Three. Who do you think, if looking back, if you kind of think back on the roster, we've talked about like you know the guys like Ferraro and and Hogue and such. Who was kind of like the the unsung guy who kind of flew under the radar, but certainly was really like the contributor, you know, as well. Maybe Tommy you didn't get Fitz. the Tommy Fitz. So I was kind of thinking along Tommy that Fitz. lines. Oh, Fitzy, Fitzy was special. Um, Scott Lachance, but but uh, Fitzy. Fitzy with that that Irish grin, that smile of his uh, off the ice, uh, his determination, his uh, his fortitude on the ice, his uh, I guess tenacity would would be the word. Um, he, he contributed so much, so much to that that team, that franchise. And uh, I recall too, you know, the expansion draft that came along thereafter, and, and he's uh, he's available. He's let go. And yeah. then I happened to have a game uh, after he had been dealt, I guess, or picked up on waivers. I, I don't recall just exactly now when he arrived in Colorado. I was doing a Fox game, and he just looked at me, shook his head. He said, I don't know. I don't understand this game. Uh, now here he is, a general manager. Yeah. <laughs> in New Jersey in league. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, uh, just a great guy. Great, great. Uh, well, that was the thing, I, again, as we say about, you know, some, this team, this current Islander team, and them—it it just there wasn't an unlikable person. I mean, even Mick Makota, who you know had all the penalty minutes, but he's probably one of the nicest. You know, I, I, of all the Islanders I've ever met over the years, and, and Glenn to me is still my number one. But Mick Makota is right up there. I mean, one, again, they were all just great people off the ice. You know, I know the, I know a hockey player in 1993 is is different than a player in 2020 basically due to the CBA and what they can do and 
who they can be around and what support they do. But there was there was just there was every see every single player on that team you'd want to root for, and that's again I think it's a testament to Allen. You know that as well as anybody else. Yeah. But but it's just the way that that organization and you know coming from Bill down to everybody. How they 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 handled themselves and portrayed themselves, and it just made such a such a difference to the fans. And again, like I said, it was just to me, it's still the most likable team. It's a to the scouting. Um, yeah, that's the drafting true is one thing; the scouting is another. I think we've talked in the past about Jimmy Devolano, and of course, mm-hmm. Jimmy was was out of the picture long before these draft picks of '93, leading up to the '92 '93 team. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think that. Well, like I said, it's a tribute to the people, the Saracenos, the, the people who beat the bushes, who look for uh, dedication, uh, personality, good, good living people, people who uh, wanted to be part of an organization, wanted wanted to contribute, and uh, to, and trades that were made too. You know, picking up, adding adding a Steve Thomas, uh, adding the guys that they did from Buffalo. Um, Good quality individuals. I mean, there, there's Benny who's put down, put down roots. So Long Island is home. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, yeah. It, 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 there's something about, and you're right, Mick. I mean, I, I think I found that over the years, though, with any of the the guys who rack up the penalty minutes, the the tough guys, the fighters, if you will, from that era, uh, have always been the most pleasant individuals. Always uh, easy, approachable. Um, Different situation now as far as approaching a player, but uh, back in those days, there, there wasn't a bad apple in the group. A lot of them are, you know, pretty become became pretty good hockey analysts and and you know color guys on the different broadcasts over the years as well, which I always find, you know, interesting that the guys who were supposed to be the quote unquote cement heads, you know, actually <laughs> had you know have that that hockey knowledge and. You know, uh, uh, IQ to some extent. So I always get a kick out of that. But just think, I mean, two of the two of the Islanders yappers on that team turned out to be very good analysts themselves in Glenn and <laughs> oh yeah, Ray, Ray, Ray. I I love listening to Ray. Uh, you know, he, I do too. I was just uh, going to say, with the luxury of the Canadian dish here during the the World Junior, listening to Ray. There you go. Uh, exactly. Just and uh, and when Glenn was doing his thing with Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, I thought he was outstanding, just absolutely special. Um, he uh, had a little sarcasm. You think? That, that, you think? <laughs> did I say a little? A little. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, that, that's, that's heels. That, that's, I mean, think back to the Heels and Flats show. Uh, that <laughs> used to be an intermission feature yes. with, uh, with Sports Channel back then. Somebody was asking me recently if, if I had any of those and, and no, I don't, but I think I know where they can be found. They're on YouTube. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, can, can I, I just want to, this is, from my standpoint, curiosity. What are you hearing on the injury to Casey today, Sisekas? Um, I only just uh, a couple of things on Twitter saying you left um, he left the ice uh, right after the scrimmage, and they, I didn't see any word up until about, Say an hour or two ago before uh, I left the station, but uh, yeah, that's going to be. Okay. I hope it's not serious. That that they're saying. Yeah. I didn't hear anything saying that it was. 
I think, but hopefully it's Good. more of a precaution than anything else. But uh, in the quick minute, uh, again, your thoughts of uh, this the way this interesting season is going to start, eight games against the Rangers, eight games against the Devils, eight against the Flyers. It's going to be fun. Oh, it's it ever. It'll be a survival of the fittest yeah. because you know it's going to be hammered one another, bang, bang, bang. Uh, it's, it's not going to be like the World Junior with the, all the skill and skating on, on display. At least I don't think it will be. I, I, I think we're in for some hard hitting, some maybe some old-fashioned hockey with Philadelphia, Devils, Rangers. That number of games against one another. Yikes! It uh, it could be it could be miserable. Last uh, best group of guys still standing at the end of the the 56 games. That's and a you shot. get the playoffs, and that's yeah. a war yes. within itself. So, yeah, well, yeah. The, the way uh, the way Tampa approached uh, last year's playoff, uh, going after the best guys, whether defensively or offensively, on the opposition, bothered me. I, I didn't like the way they approached the the game at all. But that's another story for another time. But uh, yeah, th- this could be a, a real tough go round. I, this, to me, team. Uh, in order to make the playoffs, coming out of this division will be very, very difficult for everybody. Everybody. Yeah, no, no. There's no easy team. Even Buffalo is improved, no. so every game yes, is going to be interesting. But listen, we, uh, we, you know, we appreciate you always, Jigs. We love you. We love you so much. And uh, thanks, Gary. And thank you for coming on. Thanks, and uh, we'll, we'll, like I said, uh, enjoy your sun sunshine and uh, get a <laughs> get a get a few golf swings in for me, will you? Well, Tuesday afternoon, I'll think of this. I'm out there on the tee. Oh, no, thanks, to, buddy. <laughs> good to talk to you as well, John. All right, Gary, thank you. All right, God bless, Jigs. Thanks. Stay safe. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Again, legendary Jigs McDonald. With a, again, a great interesting thing on the 92-93 uh, the team. That's one hour in the books on Sports Talk New York. We'll be back with Paul Kreischer from Isles Talk talking about different things on New York sports. Come back and join us, will you? views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. This is WGBB AM 1240 and W240 DF FM 95.9 Freeport, New York.